welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. You ever have that moment where you're scrolling through the channels on your TV and you come across, you see that particular movie that's playing? Doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, but it's on rerun. It's that movie that no matter what else is going on, you're like, I think I have to watch that. Everyone has one of those movies. Now, what I'm going to tell you, for some of you, may increase your view of me. For others, it may decrease. But that movie for me is Rocky. A- any of the Rocky movies, actually. I cannot help but watch it. And some of my favorite scenes are the recurring scenes in every Rocky film, and in fact, many, many films, where uh, there's this moment where he realizes that he needs to get in better shape, or he's, he's not up to the task of the obstacle that's in front of him, or he's going to be facing the impossible. And so all of a sudden, he kicks into that self-determination, training, um, you know, breakthrough, all obstacles, overcoming mode, and the alarm rings at 4.30 in the morning, and the push-ups start, and the running in the streets, and of course, that famous scene in Rocky where he runs up the steps in downtown Philadelphia, which I did one day when I was downtown Philadelphia. But anyways, no video footage of that. Right? It's this moment, and not just in those films, but many films. Is this the protagonist or whoever realizes, oh my gosh, what I'm facing is, is an impossible task, or I'm not ready for it, or I've got to break through this barrier, or I've got to get to the next level. And so self-determination, grit, and personal will just kind of kick in, and that's how the person succeeds. They, they do it um, on their own. Malcolm Gladwell, the writer and researcher in his book, Outliers, says that as North Americans, we are fascinated with the personal success story. The picture, the story of the person who was facing insurmountable odds, who was facing a challenge that uh, was well beyond them, who was needing to kind of break through their circumstances, whatever, and they did it. And he said, we love those success stories and we credit their success to their personal determination, their will, um, and their willingness to get it done and be able to, to just kind of personally drive themselves through it. But in the book, he notes through a number of research studies that this is simply a false idea, that it wasn't just their personal determination and their their, uh, personal will and their ability to do it, that there were circumstances surrounding them that made it easier for them or made it possible for them to achieve what they achieved. And one thing he doesn't say, but is all throughout the research, which is something I noted when I listened to the book, but also something when I look at my own life and look at others around, it isn't just environment that, um, that people need in order to succeed. There are also the relationships um, that there's no such thing as a self-made person. Anyone who has achieved something significant or broken through an obstacle or, or uh, overcome insurmountable odds or moved to the next level and in whatever sphere of life, um, not, uh, not only was there self-will and decision, but there was people around them that helped them do it. So I want to give you a moment just to think about and reflect on this, either with the people you're watching this with, or people you're sitting near or whatever, or if you're on your own, just to reflect on this question. If you think about sort of a personal uh, achievement or success, something that you did maybe in, in education or school or sports or in relationships or whatever you were doing in your job, um, who were the people around you that helped you get there? Who were the people that were key to you actually achieving that kind of success? So take a moment and uh, just a couple of minutes and reflect and discuss uh, that together.
chances are, as you talked about that, there were several people um, or maybe individuals that were a key part of your journey, which is to say we are not self-made people. We do not achieve things or move forward in life on our own, which is actually really important to uh, understand as we think about and wrestle with this question, how do I grow? How do I grow? That's the question that we're putting forward in this series that we're looking at. How do we grow in life? And we realize like we, we want to become more than who we are in, in many aspects of life. And we don't do that on our own. And we said specifically, how do I grow in faith? How do I grow in my faith journey? And, and if you joined us last week or you've heard uh, me say this before, when we talk about our faith or our spirituality. It does not mean just one compartment of our life. In fact, the writers of the Bible and Jesus, the writers of the New Testament, the word spiritual was an all-encompassing word that, in, that included mind, body, spirit, relationships. So we talk about how do we grow in all aspects of life with our faith, in a sense, at the center or the centerpiece of how growth even happens. And we realize that, um, we talked about this last week as well, um, our faith, and this is an important distinction, is personal, but it is not private. It's personal, but it's not private in the sense that, yes, it's personal. We read so many of the stories of Jesus and his biographies of his personal interactions with people. We can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can pray and talk to God personally. We don't need a priest or a pastor or a go-between. We can personally receive forgiveness of sins and grace and a purpose for our lives um, in a personal way. But it does not mean it's private. We actually need each other um, if we are going to grow, which is to say this, if you're going to grow, you can't go alone. Or you're not going to grow if you're going alone. You're not going to grow if you're going alone. I wanna say, say this with me. You're not going to, what? Grow if you're going alone. It's not gonna happen. We actually need each other for the journey. And this is a huge part of what it means to grow in our faith, whether you're um, new to faith uh, or you're exploring faith and you're saying, how do I do this? Whether you're stagnant in your faith and you feel like your faith's taken a hit in this season or whether you're someone saying, yeah, I'm ready to grow. We need to understand you're not going to grow if you're going alone. We actually need each other. And, and over through this, uh, this uh, series, we are looking at our faith catalysts, the things that allow us or help us to actually grow in our faith. It's so fascinating, actually, if you think about it. Jesus, in his mission, we read about Jesus who, who uh, came to this world and uh, brought a new way of thinking and living and uh, came to save us and to save this world and renew it and make it new, that he that one of the earliest things we see him do is to begin to form a community of people around him, the people he called his disciples, his followers. And so much of what he talked to them about was how they were going to grow together in this community. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but it just kind of struck me this week when I was writing. In the story of Jesus, right, he was, he was crucified by the religious establishment and by the Roman Empire. And then three days later, he was raised to life. He came back to life. He came back from the dead. Now, if that was a Marvel movie, what would happen at that point is Jesus would come to his followers and say, look, they, can't eat, they tried to kill me, but now I'm back 
from the dead. I am stronger than ever. And so watch me now. You thought what I did before was amazing. Watch me now. I am going to rid the world of injustice and oppression and slavery. And I'm going to overthrow the oppressive uh, Roman government. And I'm going to change this world. And I'm going to make it uh, all new. Watch me. Now I'm, I'm stronger than ever. <laughs> but that's not actually how the Jesus story goes. You know what he does at that point after he comes back from the dead? He says, okay, my work is done here. See ya, <laughs> right? He, he actually says to his followers, now you go. I'm leaving. And he said, even at one point, it's better if I leave. Now you go. You are now my body on the earth together. You collectively are now Jesus on the earth. Not each one of you, none of the rest of you are Jesus by yourself, but together you are my body. You are my presence on the earth as if it was me still here. I'm going, you're staying. You're gonna carry on what I started. And this is just this fascinating perspective of how we understand from the beginning. Jesus is essentially saying, you're not going to grow if you're going alone. I'm not starting this isolated movement of superstars and superheroes and people who can by their own will and self-determination and, and, um, and choices, they can make it happen. You, you cannot, you actually need each other. And one of the, 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 the uh, like we see the four biographies of Jesus, but followed by the biography of the church called the book of Acts. And early on, if you read in the book of Acts, there's this uh, little kind of a succinct description of what it looked like for them as the early community of followers of the way to not try to grow in their faith, to not try to do their faith life alone. And so I want you to listen as this is read for you. And this is going to provide a bit of a grid, a bit of a place for us to understand what does it mean for us to not do this thing alone? How do we actually grow together? And so have a listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. In this really uh, brief, succinct, but kind of meaty description of how this early community of Jesus followers um, grew in their faith together, we see two group dynamics happening. Um, one is the temple courts, the other is their homes. And it says that they met regularly in the temple courts, which would have been a public place, large group gathering, kind of like what we talked about last week in terms of the Celebrate Weekly, the um, listening to teaching, worshiping together in the big, large group, everyone welcome, open doors, the public courts, the, the temple courts would have been a very public place. But then it says there were a number of things that happened, not only in the temple courts, but in their homes that uh, this was a, a key part of how they grew together, not just the large group, but also in their homes. 
And and if I can say this, one of the the probably one of the best words to describe the interactions that they had in their homes that allowed them to grow together in their faith is this word hospitality. Now I know as even as I say it, the idea of hospitality uh, maybe food or a meal comes to mind. Maybe you're getting hungry right now. Uh, we even have what we call the hospitality industry, which would include like restaurants and McDonald's and things like that. But there's a broader word here when we think about hospitality in the context of growing in faith together. And, and, and there's several aspects in this text that actually unpack what does hospitality look like? What does it mean for us to grow together? If we're not going to go alone as we're trying to grow in our faith, what does this look like? And if you permit me to, I'm going to actually define the word hospitality kind of from the text by saying what it isn't, even as sometimes what we think it is, but what it isn't first. The first thing is hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality is not entertaining. We live in a culture of house and home magazine, of food and drink magazine. There are so many ways to learn how to make your home better, how to uh, improve your home, make your kitchen better, make it look beautiful. All of the touches, the colors, the fabrics, the the furniture, the new styles, open concept, whatever it is, get a home and and renovate it, make it beautiful, whatever space, using small space, using large space, etc. There's so many things you can learn about making a, a house beautiful. Likewise, there's so many ways that we can learn how to make new foods. We are um, a, a culinary obsessed culture where we not only like to find new places to eat out, but certainly in the pandemic, people have learned to cook at home and internationally inspired trends that you can find on Pinterest or wherever. And all that has done is sort of increased, it, but is really, and that's not bad, but ultimately what that is at its heart is that's about entertaining. So if you're entertaining and people come over and they're wowed by your house or all of the touches or, or your interest, wow, like he's so amazing at design and how did he build that? And wow, she's, she's such a great cook. She figured out all this stuff from like, you know, she learns how to cook fruit from this culture or that culture. Or, Man, he's great with, you know, chefing up this and look at all the touches that she put. That is all about what we would call entertaining. But entertaining is not hospitality because the difference is where the focus is. The focus of entertaining is the host, right? We do all of the things and we all do this a little bit maybe, or maybe the reason we don't do it is because we don't want that focus on us. It's about the person, the host. Oh, wow, you're so good at this. Oh, wow, you're an amazing designer. Oh, wow, your house looks so great. Oh, wow, you're such a great cook. The focus is on the person when you're entertaining. But hospitality, the focus is on relationships. The focus is actually on the guest, on the people coming into the space that somehow they would be able to receive a gift from the space, from the environment, from the food. Not only would their bodies be fed, but their whole selves would be nourished and strengthened and encouraged by being in the space of hospitality. And friends, this is something we have to get over in our culture if we are going to actually experience growth together through the lens of hospitality and not entertaining. Some of us don't have people over to our home because we think, well, it's not clean enough or it's not big enough or, uh, you know, I have an apartment or I have this too small of a house or I don't have a good backyard or I don't, and, and, and I don't know how to cook. And all of that, all of that just keeps us from actually experiencing the, the, the gift of growing together of true hospitality, of the focus on relationships, not on the house and not on the food. And so we have to actually get over ourselves. And so this isn't about entertaining people. This is about being hospitable. This is about saying, I want people to have people in my home. I want to share what I have. This is not about um, 
of ent entertainment. And it's interesting, right? Because we know this in the, in the dynamics that would have taken place in the early church. You would have had people with kind of big homes and um, like it wasn't like they were all from the same background and, uh, you know, hanging out in the same social class and all of that stuff. They would have had very different kind of things. So some people would have felt quite comfortable with the homes they were in. Others maybe didn't have homes or they didn't feel like they could have someone into their space because the normal things that would have separated community of socioeconomic background and ethnic background and food types and all of that would have been present. This was not a group that had that shared all that stuff um, from the same background, from the same uh, ways of doing things. They were all new. They were all different, but they learned how to say, this isn't about our house or our food. It's about the relationships. And what does it mean to pursue hospitality in that kind of sense? Saying This isn't about entertainment. This is about how we can encourage and nourish each other truly through food. I mean, some of it was people who didn't know where their next meal was coming from and others who had more than enough to eat were able to share that in a hospitable way, not to say, come and look how good my house is or how great of a cook I am. You see here in the text, hospitality is not about entertainment. Secondly, it's not about amusement. It's interesting, right? It says here that they, um, they, when they met together, they praised God together. Now, that possibly means that they were singing songs and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's more than that. At the core of this idea of not, not amusement, but what was at the center of their conversation was not sports, and was not what was going on at their work and not, you know, where they were going on their next vacation or not sharing memes or whatever. God was at the center of their conversation, right? This is the second component to hospitality. We don't, when we get together with people that we're trying to grow in our faith, we actually talk about our faith. We actually talk about God together. We have a conversation that doesn't just amuse us and pass the time because we're talking about sports or we're watching a movie together, whatever. None of that is bad, but none of it by itself is going to help you grow in your faith. We actually need to have a community, hospital community, hospitable community puts God at the center and says, hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? How can I encourage you? Or when you talk about your job or when you talk about school, or when you talk about your friends, then it actually leads to being able to say, well, what might God have to say for that? Or how can we pray for each other? Even when we think about sometimes it's so common, whether in a group or a church or whatever, to say, hey, how was your week? And suddenly we start talking about our lives, and, but in a way that has nothing to do with God or anything that we heard kind of that day or that morning. This is about actually putting God at the center of our conversations because we're not just amusing ourselves and passing the time together. We're trying to grow in faith. That's the second unique mark about of hospitable community. And the third one is hospitality is not affinity or agreement. Hospitality is not affinity or agreement. This is to say, these communities were not marked by the fact that they all came from the same background. Uh, they had a lot in common in terms of, you know, just they got along, same sense of humor, and we kind of understand each other, similar stories and all that kind of stuff. That was not what marked this community. And you would say, well, Vijay, my translation, the one we read says they had everything in common. But we know from that word in common, what it doesn't mean is, oh yeah, they were all from the same kind of family background or socioeconomic background. In fact, we know many of them would have been disenfranchised from their family. Many of them would have, been, would have lost their jobs. Many of them would have been kicked out of their kind of socioeconomic or um, ethnic background circle because they had become followers of Jesus. They came together as a community without those things in common. So you would have had people coming who were wealthy landowners and people coming who had no home at all. You would have had people coming who um, worked in professions that were considered very honorable and others who came who were uh, considered not very honorable. You would have had people who were actually slaves in people's homes 
and the, uh, the homes they worked for, they were in the same church. And those communities never mixed together. You would have had people from different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. What they had in common was not their background or their story. What they had in common was Jesus. And then, do you know what that word means when it says they had everything in common? Are you ready for this? It literally means that though they had nothing in common from a background standpoint, they shared everything they had. This whole dynamic of some, it says how some had homes and they sold them. It was actually that they were willing to rearrange their living conditions so that people who didn't have homes could find places. They, re they used whatever they had to actually share with one another so that food was shared, space was shared, life was shared. All of this was reoriented. That's what they had in common. Not because they had a natural affinity together, not because they sort of all just got along and they all understood each other and they'd known each other and they were relatives. And of course, I'm gonna help you because you helped me and we've known each other and we're all kind of the same. We come from the same social class. We all hang out together. No, that's not what marked the hospitality of the first century church. And friends, you can think about this today. Like when what circle and what community would people who were, had no home at all and people who owned mansions hang out together? In what circle of community would people who had certain kind of high uh, jobs that were are regarded very honorable in some circles and others that are not considerable, uh, considered honor, when would they hang out together? People from very different religious backgrounds, very different social backgrounds, only in the church do all of these things. They don't have anything in common, but they have everything in common. <laughs> They share their life together. One, one commentator noted, he said, like, this is what it, it, it became visible, the kind of community that you are when you worship a God of love and grace and justice. That's what kind of community you become. This is what marked the hospitality of the first century church, not defined by entertainment where the focus is on the host, but it's actually on relationships. Not defined by um, amusement where we just kind of get together and pass time and talk about whatever, but actually God in the center of our conversation helping us grow. And not defined by affinity or agreement because we just have everything in common, but defined by the fact that we have Jesus in common and therefore we share everything we have. This is the kind of community it was. You're not going to grow if you're going alone. If you and I are going to grow, we're going to need to press into this kind of community and hospitality together. And here's the other thing that maybe is obvious, but I just want to say it. So much of what's described in this and what it means to be a hospitable community together, to grow together, cannot happen on a Sunday morning for an hour a week. Like if church, if the sum total of your church experience or my church experience is one hour on Sunday, that doesn't really allow most of this to happen. On our, on our weekly Sunday gatherings, we, we have teaching, we have prayer for each other, we worship, and the, all of those things are really important. But all of this stuff in terms of what hospitable community looks like has to happen in homes, in groups. This is why our, the faith catalyst we're talking about this week, that is, we say, and by faith catalyst, we mean something that you can do that allows God to help you grow in your life. This faith catalyst is called group together. Group together. We know, yeah, large group stuff is good, but we need smaller groups. We need to be in each other's homes. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to be not just in rows, but in circles. And, and we do this in our youth group. Uh, many of you who come, our junior high, grade six, seven, eight, our senior high, nine to 12, 
um, meet uh, in large group, yes, but they also meet in small groups. Some of us host um, tribe nights where they meet in smaller groups of eight or nine or 10, hanging out together, having fun, sharing food, sharing life, God in the center, encouraging each other. That's what our groups, our youth groups are built around that. Our kids' classes, we have large groups and small groups for our kids so they can actually get to know some of their leaders, get to know some of the kids in a smaller arena and start to feel known and start to have an ability to say, this is my community, this is my small group that I can grow with. We have our home groups, which are starting again already this fall that meet in each other's homes. And even when we couldn't, we were meeting online or we were meeting outside and we're trying to figure out how to do that again uh, this fall so that we can grow together. We have divorce care, a group of people going through similar uh, experience who can support one another, encourage one another, have conversation with God at the center. We have Alpha, which is for those who are exploring faith and saying, yeah, don't explore it alone. You're not going to grow if you're going alone. So come together in this group of people who are maybe asking similar questions and people that can help you on your journey. I want you to listen to a story from one couple who joined our, uh, our church right before the pandemic hit and jumped into a home group and, and uh, how that played a role in helping them grow in their faith in this season. Hey, so thank you both for having this conversation with me. Um, your family, you and your daughter, Maddie, um, started coming to the well when? So we started coming February of last year. We came for a few of the services and then lo and behold, COVID hit Canada. And so we were really appreciative to have a place to go to when in service was no longer, we could go online and watch. Yeah, so like a couple weeks basically before COVID yeah. and you're just new to this church. So you did something that most people normally wouldn't do, <laughs> which is join a home group and join a home group with a group of people you've never known online. Um, what made you decide to do that? Um, one of our big, greatest criteria for joining a, a church would be uh, the fact that there was a home group and a home group community. Um, in my Christian walk, it was so important that uh, we connected at the, the, the grassroots level, at, at the, the home level, um, and uh, the leadership at the well that we had met with in the, the couple weeks that we were there, that was a, a high priority, so that really attracted us. So um, if I can ask it this way, what, what gifts, you know, that's a step of faith, right? And especially, I don't know how some people felt, but like <clears throat> you're online, like, you're, you know, there you are face to face with a bunch of strangers. What gifts did God had, have for you kind of through that experience? So yeah, we hadn't really met people and connected with anyone at the well yet, um, but I was looking back at emails and we connected in mid-April and right away we got placed in your home group. And so it was pretty quick. We did. We were very isolated from friends and family at that point last year. And so I think one of the greatest gifts was just connectivity, just getting to know some people, albeit strangers. But right away we were praying together and sharing and um, just leading into one another. And then when we were able, when it was safe, we were, you know, off, we were able to meet face to face, which is a whole other level of connectivity. And we said, you know, why don't we host it here? God just, it just felt like God's really pushing us to like, here's a church, here's a group, you're going to be okay, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. And we just thought, well, look, why don't we just open this up and enjoy this backyard that we have. And so we're able to get together and continue to pray and support one another. And sometimes around the fire pit in the back to stay warm. Yeah, like into December, right? Yeah, I mean, into we December. We were able to ride out the yeah, outside gathering. We were really yeah. lucky and thank yeah. goodness for fire and yeah. warm beverages. So that was really great. Just 
um, being able to provide a place and have everyone here and just continue meeting because it was better face to face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely felt that like we survived the online and got to be in person again. Um, we talk about group together as a faith catalyst, not this thing we do just because, well, it seems like the right thing to do, but it actually puts us in the path for our faith to grow more than if we didn't. So if you were to think, oh, how is my faith growing? How's our faith grown in this season? Um, what would you say? The, the, the Sunday, the, the YouTube and, and in person, it's, it's a two-dimensional uh, relationship with uh, the speaker and, and the audience. When you're in a home group, it's, it's a three-dimensional thing. You're, you're immersed in the conversation, in the, in the prayer, in the sharing. You're getting closer to each other. And I think through hearing how other people are uh, interpreting what was said and, and discussed, it's a catalyst for uh, connecting us better to God. And that's, that's been a, a real big um, upside for me through the process. Yeah, it's amazing how you get in with the group of people who are on the same journey but aren't the same person as you and the richness of the conversation. Man, it's so interesting. Um, so we're jumping back in like the rest of our groups are going to join us in a few minutes for our party night to yeah, have a meal together. What are you looking forward to in this season? Uh, for me, uh, we've made new friends. We're reconnecting with those uh, those friends that we all have a commonality in our love of Jesus and, and wanting to be more like Him and, and uh, to seek His direction. And just that, that shared experience is, is what I'm looking forward to in this season. In the beginning, we were all complete strangers. And um, now, you know, sometime later, We've stayed connected over the summer, uh, which we really enjoyed, and we really leaned into each other. We've been through a pandemic and through losses and through victories together, so we're really close-knit now. And so I'm just looking forward to getting together as a group and continue on our, our faith journey, but also welcoming in new people. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I, I just want to commend you for being willing to jump in early on <laughs> and take a risk. And obviously, it was a risk that God had things for you in it but also had things for us in the rest of the group. And so, yeah, I'm just hoping and praying that your, your, uh, you, God's actually still telling you, hey, keep taking risks, keep leaning in. Um, so thanks so much for having this conversation. Thank you. We group together so that we can experience hospitality together a kind that feeds our bodies and our minds and our souls and allows us to grow in our faith. And we experience this in groups. Um, here's kind of a stick figure picture of what that looks like in our church. And essentially what we say is, hey, if you're gonna grow, you need, you can see that group of people in the middle, you need people who are kind of with you right in the stage of life that you're in or the faith questions you have or you're wrestling, people that you can relate to in your situation who may not be from the same background or um, social class or ethnic background, but you're, you're, you feel a connection you're growing with and you're saying, yeah, we're kind of in this together. At the same time, you'll see there's a couple of people, you need people who are a little bit ahead of you in the journey who you can lean on, who you can go to for wisdom, who, who uh, are, are supporting you, who are praying for you, who are encouraging you to come along. And they're setting the pace for you. 
But likewise, there are people coming along behind you. Maybe they're immediate family members. Maybe they're friends or just other people in your group who they're new to faith or they're figuring it out. Or you may be strong in an area where they're struggling and they need someone they can lean on. You need people that you can be giving to and serving to as well. And so this is what we describe, like some with you right where you are, some a little bit further ahead calling you along and some coming behind you that you are calling along and encouraging. This is the dynamic of relationships and groups. And all of these are present in the groups we're in, in your youth groups, in, in, in your um, kids' small groups, in our home groups, in Alpha. There's some people who are with us we can find, yeah, we just connect, we're at the same point and that there's a mutual encouragement. There's people within our groups who we look at and say, oh, they're setting the pace. Oh, I wanna be a little bit more like that. Like, I wanna follow them. I, want, I need encouragement from them. I might call them for prayer or whatever. And then there's people in the group that I'm meant to influence and serve and help and encourage and call for that they can lean on me too. All of these dynamics are kind of present in our groups. This is what it means, friends, to actually um, realize if we're going to grow, we can't go alone. And we're meant to be caring for and serving and helping each other. And before we kind of talk about and, and kind of land this plane today on what does it mean for us um, to respond to this, we're going to sing a song that is actually, it's kind of a unique song. We've learned it a, a, in the last couple of years, but it's a song actually that the church is meant to sing to each other. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you to turn and face each other and all that kind of stuff, but it is the, the mentality. I want you to bring to mind as you're singing these words, it's called the blessing. It's, it's, a, it's a song sung to each other to say, I want the Lord's blessing on your life. I want good for you. I want this where I want you to grow. And so I want you to keep and put in mind the people in your group, in your youth group, in your home group or wherever um, that, that you're with in this and be kind of singing God's blessing over them even as you sing this today.
If it's true that we can't grow, we're not going to grow if we're going alone, what does that mean for us? What encourage you in this idea of hospitality, you know, and like meeting in homes to both literally and figuratively open up a door this fall to let people back in? Maybe if, if you're new to our community, like opening up a door, you know, to actually to, to yourself to say, okay, I'll, I'll enter into this group. Uh, for others, it may be literally opening up the door to allow people back into our houses. We're allowed to meet indoors and, you know, whether that's where you decide you're going to do that in a backyard or a front yard or a garage or in the house or whatever, but to open up a door to let people back into your life, even physically to be back together in these groups. So for some of you, that may be joining a home group, that may be, you know, hosting a home group again, that may be coming back to your group that you've been away from. Um, actually uh, re-engaging, opening up a door. But I would say even more importantly, not just physically that door, but the door to your life. Because it's possible, you know, if you listen to uh, Tim and Danielle's home group story experience, maybe some of you are like, yeah, that's what mine's been. Others may say, no, it hasn't been like that. It's been tough. It's been difficult. I haven't felt like I've grown it. It's, it's been hard. But I want to encourage you because some of us maybe have been there physically, but we actually haven't let anybody in. And so nobody really knows us. So this hospitality that we're meant to experience, the focus on relationships and God at the center, allowing us to really grow. We're there physically. We've walked through the door. We've invited people into our house, but this door to our hearts is actually closed. We've not actually entered in. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to say, we have to actually be willing to open that door in order to experience what true hospitality is to begin to grow in our faith. We actually have to invite people into our journey to say, this is where I'm at. I need help here. We have to open up our hearts to say, I have something to share with you. Like, I can encourage you. We have to open up our hearts to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, you, you need to grow. Like, come along. This is important. We need each other to do that, not just to open up the doors physically to our homes, but literally, truly to open up our hearts and be willing to invest. Whether that's in youth groups, say, yeah, you've been there before, but nobody really knows me. And it's time to actually open up the door to my heart and actually be open and let people into my life. And sometimes we say, well, no one else has let me in, but no one's, everyone's sitting in the group and no one's letting anybody in. It's never going to happen until one person goes first. So maybe that's you in your youth group or in your small group or in your home group or in Alpha, that this is a time to do that. I'm really excited because this fall in our home group, we're kind of starting and our home groups are starting a new pattern or a new liturgy in a sense. It's called the Upside Down Party. The Upside Down Party. This is going to be a four-week rhythm um, every four weeks. We, we do eight-week semesters in our home groups. Up is times and, and evenings where we pray, where we're turning our attention to God. Side is where we're talking together and, and growing through study guides and talking about God and growing in our faith. Down is where we take the cue of Jesus, you know, who washed the disciples' feet, who got down on his hands and knees to serve other people. And so we're going to, those are serve nights in our home groups to find plays in your, places in your community or friends that you know that need help moving or painting or somebody who needs meals cooked or something like that to serve. And then the party is the meal week. And so every four weeks we have a party together, we have a meal so we can actually experience good food together and, uh, and enjoy each other's company and laugh and talk. The upside down party is our rhythm for home groups this season. And so whatever it is, wherever you happen to be in your life stage, whether that's youth group or alpha or uh, home groups, I want to encourage you to take that step and engage and allow yourself to grow with others together. You know, I was recently rereading The Hobbit um, to my youngest son again. I think it's the second time we've gone through it. And early on in the book, there's this, there's this crisis where this little character, Bilbo, who, who loves his home the way it is. It's quite quiet. It's quite clean. He has everything the way he wants it to be. And he likes living on his own. And his life is very comfortable and safe, and he likes it that way. 
And early on in the book, there's this disturbance. And all of a sudden, these dwarves and the wizard Gandalf start coming into his house and they make a mess of everything. They're eating all his food. It's going crazy. And he's having all this crisis inside of him because he's like, no, this is a disturbance. This is not how I want it to be. And yet, in the conversation around the meal, they start talking about this adventure that he is supposed to be a part of. And in him right away, he has two opposite reactions. One is something in him sparks to say, an adventure, I think I'd like to be part of part of that. I think I need that in my life. And the other part of it is, no, that's going to wreck everything. That's going to change everything. I liked my life the way it is. And it's this crisis in a sense of community, of going on this adventure together. And eventually he says, yes. And it changes his life. And he writes a book about it later and would never wish it would have been anything else than what it was because he said yes. And so I want to invite you, even though you might be feeling some of that, like, oh no, this is going to disturb my life. This is going to disturb my home. This is going to be hard to open up my heart. I could just stay where I am and do nothing and life could be the same. <laughs> but you and I both know we were made to grow. And there's something in you, that spark that says, yes, I think I need that. And I want to encourage you to follow that.